If you have your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 21. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Happy Father's Day, by the way. Well, um, don't have a necessarily a typical Father's Day message this morning, but I'm, my desire is to be just led by God. Amen. In Luke chapter 21, this scripture has just been in my heart for the last week or more. And I, and I knew it was just to tie into this series, but when I first read it and first going over it and over it and over it, it's like, how does this have to do with righteousness? And that's a series that we're starting this morning and because it's just another aspect of position, our position in Christ and talking about righteousness. But I want to pull this out here because it really has to do with just that word that just was given, just what I heard in my spirit about being ready and expectant. Verse 34 of Luke chapter 21, the Amplified says, But take heed to yourselves and be on guard, lest your hearts be overburdened and depressed and weighed down with the giddiness and headache and nausea of self-indulgence. That's, that's pretty deep. Let's read what the message says. It says, be on your guard. Don't let the sharp edge of your expectation get dulled. What's that? Don't let the sharp edge of your expectation get dulled by parties and drinking and shopping. Just let that sink in just for a moment. <laughs> Selah, Selah. So here he says, he says, don't let your expectation be dulled. I, I didn't even see, see this until it's just amazing. I love how the Lord brings things together. And so here he says, don't let your expectation get dulled. How is it going to get dulled? It's through parties, drinking, shopping. Otherwise, that day is going to take you in complete surprise. Spring on you suddenly like a trap. Now, the Amplified says, it says, don't be with the giddiness and headache and nausea of self-indulgent drunkenness and worldly worries. And cares pertaining to the busyness of this life, unless that day come upon you suddenly like a trap. So here he says, don't let your expectation be dawed through all these worldly things. Because you don't want that day to come on you like a trap. What, what day? This whole chapter, Jesus is talking about the sign of the end of the times. And he's talking about, he's talking to his disciples, and these are his words, and he's saying, look, he, you know, don't let your expectation get dawed. Don't, get, don't let the world and what's in the world and the things of the world totally dull your expectation of me. Because if, if, you're, if you're not expecting me, what's going to happen is you're not going to realize the time and the season of my coming. Jesus is coming soon. Are you ready? Are you expectant? Verse 35 says, for it will come upon all, say all. Who live upon the, t- the face of the entire earth. Not some. It says it's going to come upon all that live on the entire face of the earth. Now verse 36. And this is the scripture that kept coming to my heart. It says keep awake then. And watch at all times. Be discreet and attentive and ready. Praying that you may have the full strength and ability. And be counted worthy to escape all these things. So he's, he's talking about all the things that are going to happen in the world. And he just tells it, hey, don't dull your expectation. He goes, be ready, right? And then he says, because it, it's going to come upon the whole earth. Then he says, keep awake then. So my encouragement to all of us this morning is we need to make sure we're awake. Look at your neighbor and say, wake up. Wake up. Look to the other side and said, said, wake up. So here, here he's saying then, so to, you have, to wake up so what? That you have this full strength. So we need to come to a realization, and when we come to this realization, Rick, it's going to cause us to be counted as full strength and ability and be accounted worthy. Say worthy. worthy. To escape all these things taken together that will take place. Now get this. And to stand in the presence of the Son of Man. So he wants us to wake up. Don't let our senses be dulled and our expectation be dulled. Why? Because we need to be ready. And we need to be accounted worthy so we can stand in the presence of the Son of Man. Stand in the presence 
of the Son of Man. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 5. I'm going to teach for a little bit. Hebrews 5. Holy Spirit, help this all to connect. <laughs> Hallelujah. Hebrews 5, verse 10. Called of God and a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Who's he talking about? Talking about Jesus. This whole first eight, nine verses is all about Jesus being our high priest. And he says he's called of God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Now listen, of whom we have many things to say and hard to utter, seeing that you are dull of hearing. So you know, about this high priest, Justin, he's saying, there's so much I want to tell you. There's so much I want to tell you, Stuart. I want to speak some things to you, but Stuart, you might not be able to hear him right now because you might be dull of hearing. I'm not saying you are. I'm just. <laughs> the writer of Hebrews said that to us. Yeah. Yeah. He said, I can't share some of these things. He's the high priest after the order, order of Melchizedek of whom many things. There's many things I want to tell you about this Jesus. There's many things I want you to get a hold of about this Jesus. But right now you're dull of hearing. You know, there's several places Jesus said, I believe in Matthew chapter 13, verse 15, he talks about the, the people that were in the world at that time and those following him. He was saying, saying your, your hearts are hardened, you, you, you have eyes, but you can't see not, and your ears are dull of hearing. Acts chapter 28, verse 27, the apostle Paul says the same thing. He goes, there's things I want to share with you, but right now your eyes can't see it right now because why? Your eyes can't see it and you're dull of hearing. Which is actually a scripture that was used in Isaiah chapter 6. Talking about people in one time or another. And the time that Jesus would come. It would be that they would be dull of hearing. What's, what's dull of hearing? There's a lot of directions I could talk about being dull of hearing. But one, say, one thing is I believe it's. I could use it this way. Mental assent. What, what is mental assent? It means you hear what's being said. But you never lay hold of the life giving revelation it brings. You know, it's a lot of times I, I, I was a professional Christian at one time and showed up to church every week, you know, suited and booted and looking good. And yet, but I was sitting there and most of what I was hearing was mental assent because, because I w- I'm sitting there and I'm shaking my head. Amen, brother. Amen, brother. Yes, that was, that's a good word. Amen. Amen. Yeah. Uh-huh. Mm, yeah. Preach it. Yeah. It's, that's good. And I get up from my seat. I walk out the door and never look at that scripture. Never listen to that teaching again. That is mental assent. It means you're hearing what's being said. But are you doing anything with what you're hearing? Or are you allowing what you're hearing to drop into your heart and bring about the change that is needed? Because the word of God is all about change. Everything that Jesus spoke was about bringing change to someone. But Jesus was saying they were dull of hearing. Let's not be ones that mental assent. It's kind of like it goes in one ear but out the other. We acknowledge it, but do we let it take root in our hearts? To bring change. He goes on and says. For when for a time. You ought to be teachers. But you have need. That one teach you again. Which be the first principles. Of the oracles of God. Or the things about God. And are become such as have need of milk. And not of strong meat. For everyone that uses milk. Is unskillful in the word of righteousness. So, so they were dull of hearing, and because they were dull of hearing, they never understood the word of righteousness. I believe there's a lot of people that mental assent to the fact that they're righteous. I believe if I, you know, a lot of times I can be, stay here from the platform, and there's a scripture like, like a, um, say, uh, Psalms 92, verse 12, where it says, The righteous will flourish like a palm tree. 
And I said, how many people are righteous in here? We'd raise our hands. But, but can you raise your hand at night when no one else is around? Do you see yourself the way God sees you when, when you're not in church? You know, or Psalms 37, verse uh, 25, I believe it, it says, the righteous will flourish and they shall inherit the land. Meaning there is something that the righteous have the ability to possess. But a lot of times people that think that they might have an idea that they're righteous never possess because they never truly believe that they're really righteous. They just mental assent that they're righteous. See, we have to come to a place where we are possessed by God's thoughts. Where we are totally consumed with what God's thoughts are about us. You know, for I know the thoughts and, you know, I'm going to get in there somewhere in the, in the message. For I know the thoughts and plans that I have for you, says the Lord. Thoughts and plans of peace and not evil to give you hope and your final outcome. See, a lot of times we, we know that God has thoughts about us. But do we know the thoughts that he has about us that will cause us to be what he's called us to be? Because a lot of times the thoughts that he has about us, we put off sometime in the future and not living in the, the revelation of what his word wants to produce in us right now. Because, because if you're a believer and you made Jesus the Lord of your life, it's not you're going to be righteous one day when you get to heaven. No, you're righteous right now. And the moment that you made Jesus the Lord of your life will be the most righteous that you will ever be. Some people don't understand that. Well, what about some of the, you know, I heard some scriptures, pastor, that. You know that our righteousness is nothing but filthy rags. How many people heard that scripture? It's in the word. It's there. But you know what? I'm not talking about my righteousness. If it's ever about your righteousness, you still won't make it to heaven because you're still not good enough. How about this? Oh, pastor, you know, there's, there's no one righteous. No, not one. You, you, I, I could preach that in some churches and man, they, they would be jumping. Oh, there's no one righteous. No, oh, to preach it, pastor. Preach it, pastor. You don't. How can you take one scripture out of seven and, and frame a doctrine around it? We have to be possessed by God's thoughts about us. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Second Corinthians chapter five, verse 17. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, we just finished the seven week series on our position in Christ. If any man be in Christ, he is a new create creature. Old things are passed away and behold, all things have become new. I like the Amplified says, therefore, if any person is engrafted in Christ, the Messiah, he is a new creation, a new creature altogether. The old previous moral and spiritual condition has passed away. Behold, the fresh and new has come. Now think about this old, the old has passed away. But you know, the old at one time was amazing. At one time, the old, there was nothing wrong with it. Let's go to Genesis. Let's go to, let's go to the beginning, Genesis 1. Now, now think about it. The old has passed. Now, in Genesis 1, just for the sake of time, I'm going to turn to all these individual scriptures. But we know that it says that we were created in his image after his likeness, Right? I like what the message says. It says, God spoke, let us make human beings in our image. Make them reflecting our, reflecting our nature so they can be responsible for the fish of the sea in the birds of the air, the cattle, and yes, earth itself. And every animal that moves on the face of the earth, God created human beings. Now listen, he created them God-like. Reflecting God's nature. He made them God-like. Reflecting God's nature. I love that. He made them godlike, reflecting God's nature. So when man was created in the beginning, 
God-like, reflecting God. In Genesis 2, it talks about how when he formed man out of the dust of the ground, it said he breathed into his nostrils, it said he became another speaking spirit, is what the original Hebrew says. So he created someone just like himself that would speak just like himself, that would be just like himself. You know, for instance, it's... um, Rick, hand me your water bottle. You could open it for me real quick. I know you just got it, but... So kind of what, what happened here is this is God. And this is creation of man. He poured the same substance that he consists of into you and me. Well, are you, are you saying we're, we're gods? Jesus did. Oh, we are not all God, Psalms 89, little g. I'm not talking about I'm, I'm, I'm God. I'm not, you know, I'm, it's, it's not that kind of God. It's I'm made in his image. I'm made in his likeness. But when the fall of man took place, you see, when man was created as well, we, we know according to Psalms chapter 8, it said that man was crowned with glory and honor, meaning he was clothed with glory and honor. He was made in the image of God and he was clothed with glory and honor. Do you know what the foundation of God's throne is? Righteousness. Psalms 89. The foundation of his throne is righteousness. Meaning what God built everything upon is this substance and this thing called righteousness. And so, so a part of righteousness is his glory and a part of his righteousness is honor. And he clothed humanity with that. Adam and Eve, we know in the garden, you've heard me tell the story many times, but for those that may have not know the story, when, when Satan came to the image of God, to see, Satan always wanted to be like God, but he never could be. So when he saw Adam and Eve, he's seeing something that he wanted. And he wanted to take and he wanted to destroy the one that removed him from his position. So when he saw Adam and Eve, he was out for their God likeness because that's what he wanted to be. And so he deceived Eve and and he deceived Adam and Eve and he went to her and said, said, you know, well, if you are, if, 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 you know, God doesn't want you to eat of this because if you eat of it, then you'll be like him. But we already know they were created in his image. See, the enemy always wants to challenge your identity. The enemy will always challenge your identity. We see it even with Jesus. After he was baptized and the spirit of God came on him. What happened? Jesus said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Immediately what happened? Satan came immediately in the, in the wilderness trying to deceive him. What? Because he wanted the God likeness. Because when the presence came on Jesus, he's seeing the same thing that he saw on Adam and Eve. The glory and the honor. What happened after man fell? All of a sudden they recognized what? They were naked. They lost the very thing that made them godlike. They lost divine nature. Another definition for divine nature is godlikeness. Yeah, they didn't die physically. They lost their godlikeness. So what did Adam and Eve do? They took fig leaves. They tried to find something natural to cover up for the godlikeness they were now lacking. How many times do we try to cover up ourselves? You know, another form of addiction is just covering up for the issues that you haven't been able to deal with. People will try to buy identity People will try to find success to have identity. People will try to get into from one relationship to another trying to find identity. All because there's something deep down on the inside of them that they're not convinced of their godlikeness. I'm so grateful for Jesus. God came down and said, Adam, where are you? He says, I'm, I was afraid. See, we will hide ourselves. We're afraid. I believe sin makes cowards out of men. 
And I hope I can get into that in another session. But what did God do? God came down and, and he, he realized that, that, you know what? Now, let's look at this for a moment. Rick, can you, can you stand here, Bryn? Can you, can you come up here by the podium? There's a stand, I want you to stand facing Rick. Turn and stand, yeah, get, stand facing Rick. All right. Don't look at this as, as me being God and that being humanity. But look at this as father and son. He is my son. He is my creation. And now there's something that's keeping me from my creation. So Bryn tried to get to me. You got to try harder than that. Come on. Come on, put some moves on Pastor Rick. Come on. You know, I, I, it's like, it, it's like, see, this is, this is my creation and I can't get to my creation. And, you know, fig, fig leaves weren't going to do the trick because, because the only way that this is going to happen, be able to get, be, get this even, even, even remotely close is if there's some sort of sacrifice. And we know in the very beginning it said God killed, it didn't say he killed an animal, but it said he clothed them with the skin of an animal, clothed them so now God and man could be back together at least temporarily or only at a limited degree. Thank you, Brent. Thank you. So, so thinking about this, and, 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 and I love this because I always wondered why God, because right after that it said, why did... Why did the angel now take a flaming sword to keep Abba and Eve from the tree of life? Now I was praying about this one day and the Lord said, said, because I couldn't lose my creation. Because they were at a fallen state and if they had gone, say they should have always hung out at the tree of life. But instead they hung out at another tree. And now they're in a fallen state and God said, if I let them eat of the tree of life, I could not do anything about their condition. Because now they would be forever in a foreign state, fallen in state. So God had to keep away from getting to the tree of life. And he had to provide access through a sacrifice. And throughout, throughout time, we see it was temporary access through the blood of bulls and goats. God said there's one coming that's going to do something and turn all this around. See, we need to know our true identity. We have to be possessed with our true identity. Let's go to Romans chapter 5. Actually, before we do Romans 5, let's do Romans 3. Remember, as I started with Luke, he said, make sure that we're awake and alert uh, and alert and ready so we can be what accounted worthy so we can stand in the presence of the son of man. See, Adam and Eve could no longer stand in the presence without something between them. Verse 21, there's a lot I could share throughout this whole chapter, but verse 20 says, but now. Say, but now now. the righteousness of God has been revealed independently and altogether apart from the law, although actually it is attested by the law and the prophets. So I, I I didn't have time to explain the whole with the law and the prophets, how they had to bring sacrifices and all these different things that they had to fulfill just so they could be forgiven. But he says, but now this righteousness of God has been revealed. Verse 22, namely, the rights of God, which comes by believing with personal trust and confident reliance on Jesus Christ, the Messiah, and is meant for all who believe, for there's no distinction. How does righteousness come? Believing. Not by doing. See, there's a misconception that people have about righteousness. A lot of times people think righteousness is holiness. Righteousness and holiness are not the same thing. 
Righteousness has to do with who you are. Holiness has to do with the outflow of who you are. It's the actions of who you are. So the righteousness of God, which comes by believing with personal trust and confident reliance on Jesus. For all who believe, there's no distinction. Verse 20, since all have sinned and are falling short of the honor and the glory. What was Adam and Eve clothed with? Glory and honor. We're falling short of our true identity. We're falling short of our God-likeness. We're falling short of the very thing that makes us like God. Verse 24, all are justified. So just as all have sinned, all are justified. See, people like, you know, religion like to say, you know, all have, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory. Do you ne- read the next verse? Well, all are justified. Right. Yeah. yeah, all have sinned, but also understand if I've accepted Christ, I, I'm, I'm part of the all are justified. What is justified? Just as if I never sinned. All are justified and made upright and in right standing with God freely and graciously by his grace. His unmerited favor and mercy through the redemption which is provided in Christ Jesus. So now we see righteousness is provided in Christ Jesus and redemption is part of uh, Christ Jesus. Verse 25. Whom God put forward before the eyes of all has a mercy seat. And a propitiation by his blood, the cleansing and life-giving sacrifice of the atonement and reconciliation to be received, what? Through faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over and ignored former sins without punishment. Verse 26, it was to demonstrate and prove at the present time in the now season. That he himself is righteous and that he justifies and accepts as righteous him who has true faith in Jesus. True faith in Jesus is what makes you righteous. Your works do not make you righteous. I've heard it said this way. My prayer life doesn't make me righteous. But a righteous man prays. Fasting doesn't make you righteous. But a righteous man will fast. Reading the word doesn't make you righteous. A righteous man reads the word. You see that? Witnessing to people doesn't make you righteous. But righteous people share their faith. This righteousness... What does righteousness mean? One definition in the Greek means just as he ought to be. So when something is righteous, it's just the way it was supposed to be. It means acceptable to God. Righteousness. It also is right standing with God. And and this righteousness that we're going to be covering over the weeks, I have to understand this, this isn't just some sermon or some message that you kind of listen to and put in the shelf. No, it is the backbone to your Christianity. Creflo Dollar calls it the master key to life. Dr. Savell calls it the key to victory. Kenneth Copeland calls it the force that will bring changes to your life. So this righteousness has to become the backbone of our Christian life. Right standing with God. Righteousness means the ability to stand before God without the sense of fear, guilt, or condemnation. So when you have faith in Jesus, you know what? I now have the ability to stand in God's presence without fear, guilt, or condemnation. I can stand in his very presence. That's what righteousness was. Righteousness was all about giving you that ability to be in the son's presence. Jesus said in the last days, make sure you're awake. Make sure you're alert so you can be what accounted worthy. So you can stand in the presence of the son of man. The only thing that's going to make you worthy and give you the ability to stand in the presence of God is if you awake to your righteousness. You need to awake to your righteousness as, as uh, 1 Corinthians 15 talks about. Awake to your righteousness. It's your righteousness. 
It's his righteousness, but it's your, it's yours to lay hold of. It's not your righteousness. It's not, it's not you being righteous in your own ability. It's his righteousness. And it's all about bringing you into his presence. Let's go to, um, uh, slip over to verse five, Romans five, verse 12. Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin. So get this. Through one man, Adam and Eve, through one man, sin came in, and death because of sin. So how did death and sin come? Through one man. And so death passed upon all men. For that all have sinned. So because of what one man did, death and sin came to all men and it came on all men. So that means you and me just because of what one man did. Now, this is a little side note. How important are your decisions for generations after you? Wow. Yeah, I'm, I'm grateful for God and I'm grateful how God can can change around legacy. But make sure I always make a different choice than previous generations. I want Bren to live closer to God than I ever lived close to God. For until the law, sin was given in the world, but sin is not imputed where there's no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over them that had not sinned. After the likeness of Adam, meaning even though they didn't sin like Adam sinned, they still they still were under this same curse. Verse 15, but not as the offense, so also is the free gift. So, I mean, just like the offense, there's also a free gift. For if through the offense of one, many be dead, much more the grace of God and the gift by grace, which is by one man, Christ Jesus, hath abounded unto many. So just because of what one man did, death came to all men. Just like that, the last Adam, Jesus, just like him, life came to all men. Verse 16, nor is the free gift at all to be compared to the effect of that one man's sin. Meaning you can't even compare it. For the sentence followed the trespass of one man brought condemnation, whereas the free gift followed many transgressions bringing justification. Verse 17, for because of one man's trespasses, death reigned by one. Much more, they which receive the abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one Christ Jesus. See, this righteousness that I've received should cause me to reign. In one of our sessions, I'm going to do a whole session on just talking about our authority through our righteousness. Verse 18, therefore, as by the offense of one, judgment came upon all men to condemnation. Even so, by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men unto justification. For as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. So by the obedience of one shall many be made sinners. Be made righteous. Be made righteous. Be made righteous. He didn't say become. He said be made righteous. Be made right. You don't become righteous. You are righteous. Becoming lets us know that it means it's a process. It's a process of becoming righteous. No, you were made righteous. Let's go back to Second Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away, and behold, all things has become new. Now you can see what's new. I'm righteous. I'm righteous. The old man, he, he could never be righteous. Why did the old man have to pass away? Why did I have to put down the old man? Because he could never become righteous. But the new man was made righteous. Are you a new creation this morning? You are righteous. You are righteous. Now listen to this. And all things are of God who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation. Now get this, to wit that God was in Christ, 
Now get this, reconciling the world into himself. See, this whole aspect of righteousness is what? So he could reconcile the world to himself. That's what this was all about. We had to be made righteous so we could once again be in his presence. Verse 20, so we are Christ's ambassadors. God making his appeal as it were through us. We as Christ's personal representatives beg you for his sake to lay hold of the divine favor now offered to you and be reconciled to God. Meaning receive this gift. That's what the favor, receive this gift so you can now be reconciled to God. Verse 21, for our sake, now listen to this, he made Christ. King James says, for he made him to be sin for us who knew no sin. That we might be made the righteousness of God in him. He who knew no sin. Jesus didn't know any sin. But yet he took, he became sin. He just didn't take on sin. He became sin. So we could be made the righteousness of God in Christ. What? So we could be in his presence. Hey Cassie, that's what it's all about. His purpose for mankind from the very beginning, Cassie, was, man, it was about being in his presence. Everything that God creates has a purpose. Why did he create the earth? Why did, why, what, this, why did he create the universe? Genesis 1, 14 and 15 says it was to minister to the earth. Why did he create the, why did he create the earth? Isaiah 45, 18 says he created the earth to be inhabited. And he placed everything in earth that man would need to be successful. He created the earth to minister to man. You know, everything that was in the earth when God created it somehow is still here. All the gold, it's all still here, whether it's put into a different format, different form, it's still here. Why did he create you and I? Because he desired a family. And when the son couldn't get to the father, God had to do something about it. Because I gotta, I've got to get them back to where they're now clothed with his glory and honor. So I can fulfill and they can fulfill their eternal purpose. And that is to worship me and rule and reign with me for eternity. Let's go to First Peter chapter 3. Are you still with me? You're not asleep, are you? Hit your neighbor on the side and say, wake up. You need this. I'm preaching myself happy, as some ministers say. First time I think I've ever said that. But um... <laughs> See, see mental, ascent, mental ascent says, yeah, I'm righteous. But does it change how you live your life? Because when you really know that you're righteous... It changes how you pray. It changes how you come to church. It changes how you talk to people. It changes how you obey, how you obey those that are in authority over you. It changes everything about your life when you truly understand you're righteous. First Peter chapter three. Uh, hallelujah. Where are you? First Peter chapter three. Hallelujah. Verse 18 says, for Christ, the Messiah himself died for sins. Once and for all. Meaning, there's not going to be another Messiah. There's not going to be another Savior. He died for sins once and for all. The righteous for the unrighteous. The just for the unjust. The innocent for the guilty. That he might bring us to God. Why did he die for sins once and for all? Why did he die for the righteous, for the unrighteous, the just, for the unjust, the innocent, for the guilty, so that he might bring us to God? Yes. Okay, bring, come back up. Rick, come back up. Get this now. See, Rick represents Jesus. Need the S on your shirt. Where's your Superman? You need your Superman mug, Rick. And so Jesus, now, see, the Son, mankind, was unrighteous. But yet, our mediator, he was righteous. Jesus, he was the innocent for the guilty. 
He was the just and he was the unjust. But yet he died for sins once and for all. So what? He could bring us to God. You see, righteousness is all about you coming to God. Not so you can say you're saved, but so you can get in his presence. So you can be clothed with glory and honor, just like Adam and Eve were clothed with glory and honor. Thank you, Brent. Now go back to Hebrews. Hebrews 5. See, if we're dull of hearing, then you're not going to ever understand that you are made righteous. You're going to leave here and have an idea. Okay, I, well, I think I'm righteous. And now then at, when you leave here, you're going to let your actions dictate whether you're righteous or not. Well, I, I just lied, so I guess I'm not righteous anymore. Wait, 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 what did you do to earn righteousness in the first place? Well, I guess I can't be used by God because I've made too many mistakes. I don't feel righteous. It has nothing to do with what you feel. Now, I'm not, this, this is about going out here living any way you want. Grace wasn't provided for you to live any way you want. Grace was provided for you to live holy. Righteousness is all about your position in God. I hope I can elaborate on some of those other things through this series because people have some warped thinking about righteousness. So when you become dull of hearing, you won't receive. That's why he said, you need to go back and learn these first principles of the oracles of God. And you're unskillful in the word of righteousness. That's why in chapter 6, he goes, he goes, get beyond these little things of just repentance from dead works and, and a faith towards God. And he, there's deeper things, but you can't get these things. You can't get these deeper things until you understand these basic things that you are righteous. Righteousness is by faith. Righteousness is in your heart and in your mouth. Hebrews chapter 10 talks about righteousness speaks on this wise. Not to try to bring Christ up from the dead or get Christ to come down. Meaning, meaning my faith isn't about getting him to do something else. It's just believing what's already been done. And it says, and it says what, what out of the mouth, the heart, but when the heart man believes it and with confession is made into salvation, it's the same thing. When you believe in Jesus, it's just as much saying I'm saved as saying I'm righteous. See, that needs to be so filled in your heart and believe that Jesus died for you to become righteous. So it starts coming out of your mouth. I am righteous. I am righteous. I am righteous. I am righteous. Just as much as you say, I'm born again, believer. I am righteous. I am righteous. See, if you don't believe that you're righteous, you won't be speaking your righteousness. I am righteous. I am righteous. I am righteous. And eventually, as you understand, and it drops down the inside of you, understanding of being, I am righteous. Now you'll start living righteously. It's not about getting cleaned up first. It's but about receiving this word of righteousness. In Hebrews 4 verse 14. Seeing then that we have a high priest. Remember he talked about a, this high priest. But, and I want to utter these things. But your doll of hearing. He says seeing that we have this high priest. That is passed into the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. Or you could say our confession. For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but with all points is tempted, like as we are yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. What is your profession? What is your confession? I am righteous. And when you understand you're righteous, then you can come boldly to the throne of grace and receive and obtain mercy for help in time of need. You come to the throne of grace, not because you deserve it, not because you earn it, not because you prayed hard enough. You go there and you get there because you're righteous. And that is your confession. And that is 
your profession. Now, I want to just hammer, hammer this all home about righteousness is what gives me presence into the presence of God. Remember, Luke, it said, it said, be awake and alert so you can stand in the presence of the Son of Man. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Where should I start? Go to, let's go to Hebrews 6. Because this, this is all together. 4, 5, and 6. Thank you, Lord. Verse 14, saying, blessing, I will certainly bless you. And multiplying, I will multiply you. He's talking about the promises of Abraham. And so it was that he, Abraham, having waited long and endured patiently, realized and obtained in the birth of Isaac as a pledge of what was to come. What was to come. See, he was a representation of Jesus. What God had promised him. Men indeed swear by a greater than themselves. And with them... In all disputes, the oath taken for confirmation is final, ending strife. Accordingly, God also in his desire to show more convincingly and beyond doubt to those to inherit the promise, the unchangeableness of his purpose. Meaning, everything he did with Abraham was to convince us beyond doubt where we could inherit the promise and how his purpose is unchangeable. What is his purpose? That we'd be family. Verse 18, this was so that by two unchangeable things, his promise and his oath in which it is impossible for God ever to prove false or deceive us. We who have fled to him for refuge, who fled to him for refuge might have a mighty indwelling strength and strong encouragement. What did Luke say? That we would be full of strength and accounted worthy to stand in his presence. To grasp and hold fast to the hope appointed for us and set before us. Now we have this hope as an anchor to our soul. What hope? That we have Jesus. And that God swore an oath. He put everything on the line for you and me. And this hope would be the anchor of our soul. And listen, as sure and steadfast anchor of the soul amplifies, it cannot slip and it cannot break down under whoever steps out onto it. A hope that reaches farther and enters into the very certainty of the presence within the veil. Where Jesus has entered in for us in advance. A forerunner having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. I know this is deep this morning. I know it's deep, but, but just bear with me. Understanding that this hope that we have is so we can get into the veil. The hope that we have of Jesus, that we have the ability to step into behind the veil. That we, step, we don't have something hindering us and keeping us from God. We come right into his very presence. Why? Because I am righteous. I am righteous. It's who I am. Am. It's my identity. Your true identity is, if you're in Christ, is you're righteous. And because of that, you can step in behind the veil. And the high priest is there. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. And we thank you for the life-giving revelation that it brings to us. We thank you for the strength that it brings to us, spirit, soul, and body. I thank you, Father, that this morning, as a body of believers, we receive what Jesus did on the cross. We receive the sacrifice of Jesus. We receive it as a complete sacrifice, a finished work. And because of that, you have made us righteous. Oh, Father. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Everyone stand to your feet for a moment. Thank you, Father. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. If you're here this morning and you have this overwhelming sense of feeling unworthy, I want to tell you is you need to tell the demonic forces that keep telling you those things. That you are righteous. Well, well, Pastor, I, you don't understand my actions. Or I keep doing the... You're righteous. 
you're righteous. Get in the word, renew your mind. Renew your mind. Because as you get in the word and renew your mind, your actions will change. Don't wait for your actions to change to come to him. Come to him because you're righteous and allow him to change you. Stop trying to change yourself. And receive his word. James says in James 1, the engrafted word that has the ability to save your soul. To change you from the inside out. Do you receive your righteousness this morning? I I want this to be a declaration of faith. Before we close. A a declaration of faith. Do you believe that you're righteous? You know, I, you know, as just proving to you the word from the word, I, I want you to you to leave here today knowing it's almost like case closed. The gavel is just just hit and hey, case closed. I'm righteous. Do you believe that your righteousness? Do you believe that you're righteous? It says our righteousness will speak out of the heart the man believes. So if you believe, you'll speak it. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. So if you keep saying you're unrighteous, it's because of the way you think about yourself. So we got to start thinking the way God thinks about us. Oh, everyone lift a hand to heaven if you believe. Father God, I thank you for everything that you did for me. Today, I receive my righteousness. I repent. Of every sin. sin. I'm washed. washed. Clean. Clean. Whiter than snow. snow. And you have taken all my weaknesses. All my failures. failures. And you've thrown it. it. Into the sea of forgetfulness. forgetfulness. Not to pick it up again. again. And because of that. that, You call me righteous. I am righteous. I am am just. As righteous today today, as I ever will be. be. Holy Spirit, Spirit, help me to walk out out the fruit fruit of this new identity identity of righteousness. righteousness. I receive it. I I am righteous. I am righteous. I am righteous. I am righteous. I am just as I ought to be in Jesus' name. Give him a shout of praise. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah.